super exciting. Today we are going to preach out of the book of James. And uh, I sort of gave a challenge. Anybody read the book of James this week? All right. Anybody read the book of James multiple times this week? Come on, a few Christians. Anybody not read the book of James this week? You're going to hell. All right. Although you can make up for it by reading it at least twice this week. Okay, so uh, get it in you. It takes roughly 15 minutes. If you just read through it, if you study it, it could take you a lifetime. But if you're reading through it, get the Word of God in you. The Bible says we renew our mind by the Word of God. Our, the more we put the Word of God in us, the more our mind is transformed by it, which allows us to live our lives according to it. Amen? As we go through this I don't want to call it a series because we're, we're, we're looking at the book of James, this great book. I want us to remember three things as we study it on Sundays and as we go into our life groups and we study it within our life groups. There's three, three things I want you to remember contextually for what we're looking at because I don't have time every week to go into the context of where we were. If you want to get the context, you can watch last week's message. But three things I want us to remember. Number one is that it was written by a man who is known for his intense devotion to the Word of God, the worship of God, and the works of God. And that James, his name was, was not just killed for his faith, but he was killed for living out his faith. That's number one. Number two is it was written to encourage the first followers of Jesus to encourage them how to live their life, live out their faith in a culture and an economy that was set against them. And number three is that the overarching and dominant theme in this book is that real faith is a faith that works, that the proof is in the pudding. That statement is curated, created that the only way you can tell if a dessert is genuinely cooked is not by looking at it, but it's by eating it. And when you put that delicious cupcake in your mouth, if you forgot the sugar, it's going to taste bitter. But if it was made correctly is how we see the proof is in the pudding. Does the life that you say that you live, does the faith that you say that you have, have a reality to it? Or is it just an empty phrase of faith? Amen? So remember those three things as we go. I'm going to read to us uh, very quickly this morning's passage. James chapter 1, verses 2. James chapter 1, verses 2. Count it all joy, my brothers. Understanding when it says brothers, it's speaking broadly to the people. Men, women, and children. Count it all, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I still vividly remember the day and I was reminded of the day when my daughter, my firstborn child was born in South Africa. I was sitting in the hospital on Thursday waiting for the arrival of my third child. And I don't know if you've had a child or if you haven't. I remember standing next to that bed and the woman has to go through a lot to give birth. Does everybody know that? It's a lot. And I was standing there. This is actually off topic, but it's, I'm thinking about it. And I'm standing there and I'm all of a sudden starting to feel very nauseous. I don't think it was nauseous because of what, you know, the, the graphic nature of a birth, but nor just more, more the weight, the pressure, responsibility. And I remember feeling it the first time, but this time I'm standing there and I started to feel nauseous and I'm like, Joel, stop being a wuss. You can do this. And I sat there, I composed myself, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh no. And the room started to go fuzzy. And so I looked at Savannah while she's literally giving birth. I was like... I'm not going anywhere. I'm just sitting down for a second. So I sat down and then all the attention went from my wife giving birth to me, making sure I didn't pass out there running, getting me Sprite, all sorts of funny things. But don't worry, I was back within a couple of minutes. It's okay. But that wasn't a best. The birth isn't about me. It's about Savannah and the baby. But I was reminded of the first time that this happened. The first time I was sitting in the hospital room with Savannah 
and the contractions began to ramp up. And she didn't have the epidural in our first birth. And she was there and she began to feel the intense pressure of the contractions. If you don't know, contractions exist to basically help your body start to push the baby out of the woman's body. So this pressure is applied. And I remember sitting there and I was overwhelmed with this sense of like, I can't do anything. It's this feeling of my wife, whom I love, is going through a pain that is overwhelming, and here I am helpless, and there's nothing that I can do about it. And I remember this happening, and I really wanted to encourage her. And so I said something that every wise preacher would say, and every stupid husband would say. See, I have to wear a couple of hats in my house. Something that every wise preacher would say, but every stupid husband would say. And as she sat there in pain, I said, babe, just remember. Remember Jesus. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. And I said, you can do this. She understood what I meant about six months later after she forgave me of my stupidity. Then I said it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. This morning, I want to spend our time working through this phrase or this thought, expect trials, experience joy, endure pressure, and experience growth. Expect trials, experience joy, endure pressure, experience growth. The reason I wanted to start today with this phrase, expect trials, is because James opens up and he says, My brothers, count it all joy when you experience trials of various kinds. He doesn't say if you experience trials. He says when you experience trials. And we need to understand if we are living, breathing human beings, we are going to go through seasons of trials, seasons of hardship, seasons of challenges, seasons of pain, seasons of brokenness, seasons of persecution, and seasons of pressure. And I know a few weeks ago, as we went through the Lord Prayer, we looked into this idea of temptations, tests, and trials, but we have to expect trials. I've said it to us many times as a church, and I love the phrase, and the good news is that the man I stole the phrase from is sitting in the front row, and it's this thing that says, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You think if you haven't made a plan, you're good. But the reality is you've made your plan and your plan is you're going to fail. And the same thing we look here. James says, count it all joy when you experience trials of various kinds. This word trial is this word, the Greek word parasmos, parasmos. I'm trying to be Greek, parasmos. Any Greek people? Am I saying it right? At least I'm pretending to roll my eyes like I know what I'm doing. Parasmos. And the word describes a test, a trial, or a temptation. And it can also contextually mean a frustrating or catastrophic event aimed at the testing of the people or the person involved. A frustrating, catastrophic event that is aimed to upset, make uncomfortable the people involved. That's what a trial is. It can be a test. It can be a, a problem. It can be this pressure applied. And we have to understand it's created to rob us of our peace. If you're in a boat and all things are wonderful and you're going through the bay and everything's smooth, you're good. But if you're like me and you get seasick at the drop of a hat, the moment the wave comes, it's to interrupt my peace and serenity. I have a deep desire to be a deep sea fisherman. That's my desire. 
My flesh cannot handle three bumps on the ocean without my life being completely ruined for the rest of the day. You ever had seasickness? It's the worst. And nothing you can do to get rid of it. But we have to understand that's what a trial is. In a legal sense, it's a proceeding in which you can't get out of, but you have to get through. When it speaks of a trial, you're going to trial. It's something that you have to do and you can't get out of it, but you can get through it. So in a sense, it's something that is meant to disrupt your peace, challenge your faith, and test your patience. James says, when you meet various trials, the word various means multicolored or many Colored. And James is saying, when you face many different challenges, because we know they can come from all different directions. Everything is going perfect one day and the next chaos. You fix that problem, you step onto the next. It's like this building. This building is a blessing, but my goodness, it presents trials of various kinds. We leak all the way up the back of there and it leaks every week and Pastor Aaron and the team are so faithfully diligent to fix it every single time that happens. And every hole that you fix, you find another one. And when that happens, you fix the holes and then you go into the cafe and the air conditioning breaks. It's very varied. It's a very colorful building with many different trials and challenges. Even things that are meant to be a blessing can present problems. So James tells us not if, but when you experience various trials, many different challenges of all varying degrees of difficulty, consider it pure joy. James was writing to Christians who were going through many different challenges in a different level, economic pressure, Religious persecution, as we looked at a few weeks ago, not so much to the point of mass uh, martyrdom and the killing of Christians, yet it's coming. But as James was writing this to the first Christians, Christians were being excommunicated. They were being uh, told they cannot purchase things. There was religious and economic pressure. And they were not severe persecutions, but the, we understand that they were low-level social rejection, economic boycotts, and it was happening because they were Christians. So ultimately, we as people can expect trials, tests, and challenges, the ones that come from just being alive. Anybody had to go through some level of challenge in 2023? Anybody had to go through some kind of trial in their life? It happens just by being alive. And so we as people have to accept the reality that trials are coming our way. And as Christians, we can expect trials, tests, and challenges that come from faithfully following Jesus. There's the regular challenges of life. And for us as believers, there's going to be the regular challenges of being a Bible-believing, a Bible-living believer. Because the proof's in the pudding. And some things are going to come to pressure us, to put the test on us, to see what's in the inside of us. And again, this is not to make us afraid of challenges, but we have to be aware because if we fail to plan, then we plan to fail. And we have a responsibility to be wise Christ followers and prepare ourselves and be aware that challenges just might come. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4, it says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beating, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness in the Holy Spirit, 
genuine love, by truthful speech, the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known. Wrong, right. As unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Christianity in the West, as we know, has been sold as this bless me life that you follow Jesus. He's going to wave the magic wand that we call the cross. And from that point on, everything's going to be smooth sailing. And in doing so, we give people this pill to try and pretend that nothing's going to happen. And when they find out that's not a reality, they think God's a fraud, Christians are frauds, that God's word doesn't work. It's because we've painted this untrue picture. The reality is following Christ or not following Christ, life has challenges. And when you follow Christ, you heap on top of the regular challenges, the challenges of being a faithful Bible-believing Christian, and that's part of our blessing. And James says, consider it joy that you get to go through all these challenges. He sounds a bit like a crazy person. So number one, we can expect trials. But number two is we can experience joy. James 1, 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What is this joy? This is not some sort of naive statement or worse, some sort of sadistic desire of James for people to enjoy the present pain in their lives. James is not suggesting that we have an all-encompassing emotion of joy when our children are sick or when we lose our jobs unexpectedly because we follow Jesus or just for other reasons. James is not saying, hey, when your marriage is under fire and your spouse has had an affair, you should be happy. This isn't James's idea of presenting us some crazy notion. James is not suggesting that our pain should be pleasant or asking us to enjoy our pain. James is calling us to a higher understanding of what Christian joy is. It's a joy that looks beyond this present life towards the hope of our eternal reward. James is saying, there are gonna be trials and I want you to consider it joy, not because you enjoy a trial, but that there's a greater hope on the other side. And for Christians, our greater hope is our eternal reward and life with Jesus forever, amen? That no matter what we go through now, we know that we can uh, have, have peace in our hearts even though we're walking through a living hell. And the reason we can have peace in our hearts while we're walking through a living hell is because we have peace with God. And knowing that we have peace with the Almighty presents a future hope that says no matter what I'm facing, no matter the trial in front of me, I set my eyes on Jesus and I can count it joy because I know that greater is He that lives in me than he who is in the world. Come on, somebody, give Him praise. Godly joy is not a present happiness, but rather a joyful anticipation of our eternal hope in Jesus. And our hope, hope is the expectation of good. So Christian hope is the expectation of hope. So hope in Jesus enables us to have unexplainable joy. It's like when you're walking through something and everything's going wrong around you. And someone says, are you doing all right? And you're like, yeah, I am actually. 
and they don't understand it, so they press and go, hey, no, are you really okay? Like, are you sure? And you're like, yeah, I am. And they're like, how could you be? And you're like, I can't explain it. That's hope in something greater than what's in front of you. And for us, that's Jesus. James says, count it or consider it joy is another word that's used. Consider it all joy. And James is giving us insight to understand something amazing. He says, you don't have to feel joy in the moment, but to consider, to think about, to make a conscious decision to look beyond the moment of pain towards something greater. It's the old phrase, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because I know that my God is with me. His rod and His staff, they comfort me. I will prepare a table in the presence of my enemy. He's saying your joy is not in enjoying the moment, but it's the ability to look through the moment of pain towards something greater. The apostles did this when they were beaten for speaking the name of Jesus. Yet the Bible goes on to say that all the way home they were rejoicing that they had the privilege of being persecuted for His name's sake. Acts chapter 5, verses 40. It says, And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, this is the apostles, it says rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for His name. They considered it worth rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for His honor. What an incredible posture to take. Paul told the Corinthian church in, this, in 2 Corinthians that in all his affliction, he was overflowing with joy. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, it's Paul says, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you, and I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. In all my affliction, Paul says, I'm overflowing with an unexplainable joy. I don't enjoy being whipped. I don't feel happy when I'm beaten. I don't feel great about being shipwrecked. I don't love the fact that demon snakes and every snake is a demon. Just clarifying, if you're a snake lover, get out. If I'm bitten, being bitten by demon snakes, I'm not feeling, oh, this is amazing. But he says, I'm overflowing with joy in all of my challenges because my eyes are not set on the things of this earth, but I set them on that which is above. Paul and Silas, the famous story, after they were beaten with wooden rods, put into prison and chained in their prison cell, did not suffer depression, but they did not enjoy the beating nor did they enjoy having their ankles in the chains and the stocks. It says, yet in the midst of that challenge, they began to worship and they began to praise God. And we use that as a great moment to amp up the praise and worship service. But if you think about it, in reality, they are sitting in a prison. They don't know when they're getting out of it. And they begin to worship God Almighty because they're not focused on the present pain. They're not enjoying the present pain. They're looking through it to something greater on the other side. That if my life is taken for me, for His name's sake, then I consider that joy. So number one, we expect trials. Number two, we experience joy. Number three, endure pressure. James 1.3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces 
steadfastness or perseverance or patience. When trials come our way, our faith is tested. Our faith is tested or it's put under pressure. And when pressure is applied, we learn what's inside of us. Last week I spoke about if you squeeze an orange and lemon juice comes out, that's strange. But if you apply pressure to an orange, orange juice is what's supposed to come out. For us as Christians, when pressure comes, when the bank account is not saying what it's supposed to, as people are saying terrible things about you or people are undercutting you or people have betrayed you or people have hurt you or whatever is happening, when the pressure comes is when we find out what's inside. And as a Christian, what's inside? When the pressure comes, do we react like the world or do we react like Jesus? See, because under pressure, we find out what's on the inside. When we're squeezed, what will be the result? I mean, I've been there. You, you get squeezed and you're like, mother. No, I didn't do that. Pastor Dan does that. But we pray for him every time. And it happens. We're just at work and something goes wrong. And he's just like, you mother. I'm like, man, you can't say that. Anyway, pray for him. If there's any new people, I'm very sarcastic and our executive pastor Dan does not swear most of the time, okay? That's our youth pastor Danny, gosh. Again, that's a joke. It's, it's a very funny world that you say anything, anyone will film you, record you, make a whole thing about you. That's all a joke. We're very Christian here. Not like those other churches. <laughs> Just, sorry, I'm getting, getting caught up here. I need to rewind it. Pastor Aaron, help. Help, 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 help. That's why we're not live anymore. Exactly. Just in case. We get to edit it out, put some Joel Osteen on top of that, and we'll survive. <laughs> the testing of our faith <laughs> produces steadfastness patience, and perseverance. And if you allow the pressure to forge you, it will produce in us steadfastness, patience, and perseverance. It says, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness means to be unwavering. It expresses a growing determination in the face of adversity based on hope. Patience is the ability to wait or to continue doing something despite difficulties or to suffer without complaining or becoming annoyed. That's patience. Perseverance means to continue doing something despite how difficult it is or how slow our efforts get us to success. So our faith under pressure, when we endure pressure, it produces steadfastness, patience, and perseverance. Without the pressure of our faith being tested through trials, we would miss the godly gifts of steadfastness, patience, and perseverance. Without it, we wouldn't get it. Perseverance is a vital virtue in the life of a Christian. It's the ability to press on despite the difficulties that surround us. And it is a lost art in the modern world. We want everything now with as little resistance as possible. And if we get resistance, we either melt down or we quit. It's like diets. We want to get as skinny and as healthy as possible without doing any of the work. It's how weight loss pills have any way of making money. If you take this pill, it's going to get your metabolism going. 
and you're going to lose weight. So you take the pill and you keep eating and your metabolism's moving, but because your metabolism's going, you're hungrier, so you just keep feeding and you think, this doesn't work. Because it's how we are in 2023. We want it now with as little resistance as possible. But the Christian life, our life, basically is a life of perseverance. In essence, to be a Christian is to learn how to persevere. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. The Christian life is a life of perseverance. Galatians 9, 6 verses 9. It says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's perseverance. Romans 2, 7 says, To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. To those who by patience, it's perseverance, it's the Christian life. Romans 5.3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you want to be a Christian, it's a life of perseverance. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation or trials, and be constant, steadfast in prayer. Hebrews 3.14, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It's holding on. Hebrews 6.11, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Holding on through hell or high water. We're holding on and we're not letting go. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10, 36, for you have no, sorry, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you don't quit, you win. Hebrews 12.3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him who endured the shame for our sins so that we do not grow faint Hearted. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. James 5, 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. 
You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We're getting the idea? This is the Christian life. It's a life of endurance. In the good times and in the bad, in the fleshly challenges and in the Christian challenges. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Don't be a coward. Don't give in when the pressure comes. Don't give in when you're being canceled. Don't give in when your job's on the line for what you believe. Don't give in when your career's on the line because you have integrity. Be a man. Be a woman. Be strong. Stand steadfast, unwavering, persevere. Colossians 1.11, be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, he also will deny us. Matthew 10, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew, 4, sorry, Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Luke 21, 19. By your endurance, you will gain your life. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The Christian life is one of perseverance. I skipped about 10 for the sake of time, and I didn't add all that are in there. Because we can expect trials, but we look beyond the moment of pain to a future hope so we can experience not an emotion of happiness, but a godly joy. We endure pressure because when the pressure comes, we're squeezed and we find out what's on the inside of us. But if we have godly faith, true faith, living faith, then when our faith is tested, it will produce steadfastness, patience, and perseverance. And when that pressure is applied, we will experience growth. James 1.4 Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking Nothing. I enjoy lifting weights. You can't tell, but I do. I never did my whole life because I was a bit of a wuss. And it seemed very difficult to lift heavy things unnecessarily. 2020 came along and some of you know our story. We're doing missionary work in Africa. We got forced back to Australia. We thought it'd be for a few months and we'd go back to doing mission work in Africa. But we all know that's not how it worked out. So I was sitting around for a year and a half. I didn't have the ability to get a job. And I decided to lift weights. Also got a little bit pudgy. Figured I'm mid-30s, might be time to get my life in order. 
in that area. And I began to lift weights and I began to love it. And my favorite weightlifting move became what's known as a deadlift. A lot of people don't like it because it's a very, very difficult lift. The heavier you get, it is an all-encompassing lift that uses basically your whole body. And it puts pressure on your body and it builds muscle mass in what's known as your posterior chain. Your posterior chain is the majority of your muscles on the backside of your body and it plays a vital and pivotal role in developing a strong and resilient foundation in your body. And with weightlifting, you put your muscles under extreme pressure for extended periods of time. The muscle fiber breaks down, you feed it protein, and then your muscles build back up. And when they build back up, they're stronger and bigger. Now, it doesn't happen in one day. That's what I learned. Takes a while. But it's my favorite lift because it works my entire body. I, I, I considered bringing it up on the stage and doing some deadlifts just to show off how strong I am. Then I got afraid someone might challenge me to a weightlifting competition and then I might lose. Marcus is very strong if he's very strong. But it puts pressure. But if you push through the pressure, you get stronger. You grow. You can quit. You can get down and say, this is too heavy, forget it. But nothing's going to happen. Just by wanting to lift weights doesn't do anything. It's when you endure the pressure that's applied, when you persevere through sometimes what feels like your head's about to pop off your shoulders, you experience growth. Your Christ-like character, when it's put under pressure, breaks down your pride. And when we feed our heart and mind the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, through the mercy of God, your character will strengthen. You will grow. You will be stronger. And the amazing thing about lifting weights is when I moved to America, my schedule got all messed up. I didn't have a consistent schedule. And finally, I bought a gym and put it in my garage. And I learned about a little thing called muscle memory. Even when you get off track, your muscles have a memory so that when you get back on track, you actually are fast-tracked to get back to where you were before. It's amazing. We have to understand this. It says, it says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be complete and lacking nothing. Perseverance has an effect. It's like holding a fine steel sword until in the fire, until it's fully tempered. Tempering increases the strength of the sword while making the material more flexible and ductile. Ductile meaning flexible without losing its integrity. In this example, the sword is the Christian. The fire is the testing. And the tempering is that which the Christian becomes after the testing and it becomes mature and complete, not lacking anything. The Greek word for perfect can also be translated mature or fully developed. We know Jesus says in Matthew 5:48 that he calls his followers to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. He's saying, He's calling His followers to be mature by walking through the fire of testing and persevering and being patient when it's chaos and holding on so that you would become mature like a sword forged in the fire. You would come out stronger, more flexible and able to be stretched and bent without losing your integrity. 
The Greek word for perfect can be called mature, and it indicates Christ-like maturity. Maturity is produced by holding fast to the faith while in the fire of persecution, while in the pressure of testing, the pressure of trials. It's not by giving up in the middle of it. We've all done it. We've all worked really hard for something that is difficult, but on the other side, you know there's a feeling that cannot be manufactured. It's why competitive sport exists. If you are competitive and you play a competitive sport with no genuine outcome, it's fun. It's just way less fun. Here we see an A equals B equals C system. The trials equal perseverance. Perseverance equals maturity. Hebrews 12, 11, it says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. James opens up this letter with a big whack. And he says, life is going to have challenges. Add being a Christian on top of it, and it's going to build up that list of challenges. But he's saying, consider it joy that you get to go through this challenge. Consider it a joy, not consider it wonderfully an all-encompassing feeling of joy and happiness when things are terrible. He's saying, but take your eyes off the present pain and look beyond to what's on the other side, knowing that the Word of God says that He will turn all things together. For he will use whatever is happening in any capacity, in whatever depth of pain, shame, or trouble it is, I will take all all things, and I will use them for the good for those who love me and live according to my purposes. So our final thoughts for today are this. When, not if, when you go through a trial of whatever it is, whatever variety of challenge you face, Why don't we pray like this? God, please give me eyes to see the good on the other side of this trial so I can rejoice in the midst of this hardship. God, don't give me the ability to escape this trial, but rather give me the opportunity to endure this trial. God, don't get me out of it but by your grace, get me through it. God, forge in me a deeper wisdom and a strengthened spirit. Please help me to allow my trials to produce in me perseverance and my perseverance to produce in me Christ-like maturity. And when you get this, Christ-like maturity is wonderful because you won't be tossed to and fro with everything that comes your way. You'll find a way to walk through hard things because, friends, they happen. As much as my statement to Savannah in the hospital room in the moment felt like, Joel, shut your mouth. She genuinely later on was like, you're so right. The joy of holding your brand new baby far outweighs the pain the woman has to go through to get it. And if it didn't, women would have one child and stop. But they don't. The joy of that child outweighs the pain. And so in the midst of the present pain of contractions and of this baby being squeezed out, you look forward to the joy that was set before you. 
that you would have a child in your arms, you would find out for the first time what it's like to genuinely love unconditionally. This is the joy, and it's the joy that allowed Jesus to hang upon the cross of Calvary for you and I. His joy was that you and I would be saved from the wrath to come, from the sin that sends people to hell. He said, if I hang on this cross, I know that 2,000 odd years later, these people will sit here and I'll be in right relationship with them. I'm going to do it every day, all day. He said, God, if there's another way, please, as he sweat blood in the garden. He said, but if not, let your will be done. And he did. There wasn't another way. So Jesus hung on the cross for the joy that was set before him. He looked past a moment of pain and said, there's something greater on the other side. Friends, it is our challenge as believers. Each of us go through many different challenges, many different trials, some greater than others. And I'll say this, I don't want to diminish anybody's problem they're walking through, but we live in a very sensitive generation. And sometimes perspective is helpful. I know you're going through something, but get on a plane and go see how somebody else lives. I know your challenge is big, but when it's this fleshly stuff, man, get over it. Stop living for the love of mammon and money. Give your life to Jesus, friends. Things will change. I understand we have challenges. You lose your job, it's a challenge. Some people die because they can't eat. You're gonna get another job. Well, you don't have the big house in Franklin. Who cares? You have peace with God. Some people don't. I was walking down Broadway at CMA Fest. There are many people there with mansions in Franklin who are going to hell. Why would you want what they have? You have peace with God. Perspective's important. Brothers and sisters, consider it joy when you go through trials of various kinds knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And when steadfastness does its work, you will be complete, mature, built up in Christ to live like Christ and genuinely be able to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Because God is our hope. Because God is with me. Like Job, if I lost everything, can't curse His name. Because He gave me the air that 